0: All right, how many of you are excited that the NFL has begun? Huh? Are you excited about that? Well, I am stoked. The Bucks start this afternoon. I just want you to hear today from me. The Colts are going to win the Super Bowl this year. This is the year. Now, if that doesn't happen, I just want you to show a little bit of grace toward me. Okay, this is a church. We act like Christians if it doesn't work out. All right. Colts start today against Buffalo, the Buffalo Bills. I want to tell you a true story about the Bills. They're the only NFL team that has gone to the Super Bowl four times in a row, and they've lost all four times in a row. It's a true story. Bills are the only NFL team that have gone four in a row and they've lost all four in a row. Thurman Thomas is a running back, was a running back for the Buffalo Bills. And in this Super Bowl, Super Bowl 28, Thurman Thomas fumbled three times. The Dallas Cowboys received the ball all three times, and they capitalized. They scored all three times on Thurman Thomas's three fumbles. The game is over. Of course, the the Cowboys are cheering, and and the Buffalo Bills are in in, in depression. And, And Thurman Thomas is on the bench with his head in his hands. He's not even looking up. He's got his head in his hands and across the field comes Emmett Smith, the star MVP running back for the Cowboys. He's got his goddaughter in his arm, and he comes across the field, and he says to Thurman Thomas, who's got his head down, he says to his goddaughter, he said, whatever her name was, sweetheart, he said, I want to introduce to you, I want to introduce you to the greatest running back in the National Football League. This is Mr. Thurman Thomas. Now, that's the game that Emmett Smith rushed for 132 yards, scored two touchdowns, and won the game. And he's introducing his goddaughter to, he said, the greatest running back in the NFL. And Thurman Thomas later talked about how that event began then to bring him out of the despair because he was doubting himself, doubting how he could face his teammates, doubting how he could ever even go back to practice ever again. Now, who in this room has not fumbled? Who of us in this room, we've not fumbled with something or we've not fumbled with somebody? Everybody in the room, we've all fumbled. And when we fumble, we then begin to doubt ourselves. And so, again, if I were to ask you this question, how many of you doubt yourselves? How many of you doubt other people? How many of you even doubt the goodness of God? We would all respond to that in different ways. In fact, if I were to say, how many of you in the room, and don't do this, but how many in this room, if I were to say, how many of you, raise your hand if you've ever doubted, don't, don't do it, if you've ever doubted yourself, you, you'd go like this. Everybody in the room would go, yeah, I have done something, so I've fumbled, and I've doubted myself. And then if I were to ask you, who in this room has doubted somebody else? Both hands go up, baby, for that, right? Because we, we've doubted other people. And if I were to ask you, well, who in this room has ever doubted the goodness of God? You, you you wouldn't want to raise your hand, but you, you you yeah, yeah. Because there's things that have happened that you've prayed about and you've asked God to do something about, and you're not sure if he's got the ability why he didn't do something significant in your life. And so today we've got a guy who has followed God his entire life, but he's doubting whether or not Jesus was the real deal. In fact, his whole life has been a miracle. His mother couldn't get pregnant. His dad was old. And an angel, Gabriel, visits him in the temple. And the angel, Gabriel, says, Zachariah, you're going to have a son, and you're going to call him John. And he's called John the... He's John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist has spent his whole life communicating to everybody else how great Jesus is. And Jesus is the Messiah. He's the long-awaited Messiah. And now... John is in prison, and he's imprisoned. I don't know if you've ever been to prison or not. I don't need to know that, okay? I'm cool with that, all right? If you've killed somebody, I'd like to know that, all right? But if you've been in prison, I don't need to know that. But here's here's. we've all been imprisoned. Every one of us in this room have been imprisoned, By something, or by someone, or by by an addiction in our lives, and so here's the story. We pick up the story in Matthew chapter eleven. Start with verse two. Matthew chapter eleven, verse two. Here's John the Baptist. He's in prison and he is freaking out. Okay. When John, who was in prison, he heard about the deeds of the Messiah. He sent his disciples to ask him. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect somebody else? Now, this, is a, this is a shocking question. His entire life he has followed Jesus. His entire life he's been pointing people to Jesus. He's been telling his disciples, you know, I get less, he gets greater. His entire, but when he's in where? Where is he? Prison. He's in prison. Things don't look the same. Things don't feel the same. Things just aren't the same for John. And so John's asking this question. Hey, cousin, how come I'm still in jail? Hey, cousin, how come you haven't gotten me out of this? I've got nationalistic expectations. I've got Messiah expectations. And I'm still in prison. How come that takes place? And so I just want to, for just a second, show you a little bit about John and what John did, and here's where I can drop you, and I don't want to drop you. For the next two minutes, this is where I'm going to drop you. Say, Kurt, you're not going to drop me. Say that. Kurt, you're not going to drop me. How many of you mean that? All right, all seven of you. The rest of you can go to sleep, okay? I got seven of you. All right, here's where I can drop you. I don't want to drop you. What I want to show you for just about two minutes is I want to show you how John, through his whole life, has been proclaiming about Jesus. So let's look in John. John chapter 1, there is a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Let's fast forward to verse 15. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said... He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, what does that mean? Even though I, John, am six months older than Jesus, really, I'm a babe because Jesus has been around forever. That's what he means by that. Look at the next section. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I'm not the Messiah. And they asked him, "Well, then, who are you? are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? Look the next section. He answered, no. Finally, they said, well, then who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourselves? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, guys, I'm the voice. I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. One last section. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, everybody, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. He's saying Jesus is eternal. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with, with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Okay, if I dropped you, come back with me now, okay? All right, so go back to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew's, Matthew tells us that John is in prison and that, that Jesus, he's, question, he's doubting whether Jesus is the real deal or not. So go back to Matthew chapter 11, verse 4. So again, John has just sent two disciples to say, are you the real deal or have we missed this? And here's Jesus' answer. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Now here's what Jesus does. Jesus starts piecing together, cutting and pasting, piecing together Isaiah the prophet. Because Isaiah the prophet, communicated clearly the signs of the Messiah. Isaiah has in multiple different sections, which we don't have time to do right now, multiple sections. This is what the Messiah will do. You want to know what the Messiah is going to look like? Here's what he will do. He will, the blind will receive sight. The lame will walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf will hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Now, ironically, He leaves out Isaiah 61. Jesus does. He leaves out Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, which says, The captives are set free. Now, in other places, captives are set free. The Apostle Peter and the Apostle John are set free. An angel comes and releases them from prison. In another situation in Philippi, Paul and Silas are singing hymns at midnight, and there's an earthquake, and the prison doors come open. But John is not going to get set free. We know how the story ends. John will not be set free. And so Jesus doesn't quote Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2 in this passage of Scripture. Brilliant on Jesus' part. Just brilliant. And so John's going, to himself, he's going, oh, wait a minute. Look at verse 6. Let's look at verse 6. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble, he says, on account of me. So here, here, here's, here's what's taking place. John's in prison because he took a stand and taught God's plan A. He's in prison because he told Herod Antipas, you can't steal your brother's wife. It's wrong. Now, let me just clear up the whole Herod thing real quickly because that's real confusing. I can do this in eight seconds, okay? Maybe ten. All right. You know about the Herod, the, the big Herod? He was the one who had all those babies killed. Remember when Jesus was you know, two years old? So that, that's Herod. That's the daddy. The daddy dies. Now the kingdom is split up into four different sections, and all four brothers have a section of the kingdom. So Herod the Great is dead, and now there's Herod Antipas. Now there's Herod Philip. And so this is what's going on between the brothers. And so Herod Antipas steals his brother's wife. i got a little slide just to help you with the history. Herod Antipas had married the daughter of Aretas IV of Arabia, but he divorced her to marry his own niece Herodias, who was already married to his brother Philip. And so John the Baptist is going, dude, you can't do that. You can't do that. Now, I thought about this. How do I explain this today? What would be a a current relevant analogy to this in, in our culture? And I thought, you know, I thought, well, maybe it's like when, you know, President Bill Clinton was, you know, with Monica Lewinsky. Do you remember that scandal? How many of you remember that? How many of you don't remember? Have you never heard of this before in your life? There were like three or four. Yeah, there's several. I mean, it's like, oh, gosh. Well, don't don't Google it. It's not worth it, all right? Just trust me on that one. Just just take my word for that, all right? So it's like going up to—it's like like a young reporter— gets in the White House room, and the young reporter stands up there, and he says, President Clinton, you can't, you know, do that with a White House intern. I thought, no, that really doesn't explain it because Bill Clinton can't really, like, kill the guy. He may want to, but he can't. It would be like going into Vladimir Putin's office, the Russian dictator, and say, Mr. Putin, you can't do whatever, and Mr. Putin takes out a gun out of his desk, and he just shoots you, Right? or Assad. That's exactly what John the Baptist is doing. He's got a mean dictator and he's standing for truth and righteousness. And he's going, "Well, well, Jesus, how come I'm suffering? I did the right thing. I'm doing what you've asked me to do. Why am I still in prison? You see, you and I doubt the goodness of God when our expectations are not met. And we're expecting God to do this, but in God's sovereignty, He's going to do this, and our struggle is the gap. And so we, we struggle when we expect God that He can and He's able, and we've asked Him, but why, why, why doesn't He? Well, just think about John. What's going through his mind in that dark, damp prison cell? I'm a good Jewish boy. I've kept all the Sabbaths. I go to the synagogue. I I go to the temple. I offer the sacrifices. I've paid my tithes. I do the first fruit offering in business. I observe the year of Jubilee. He's thinking to himself all the things that he's done right. And and I've had those conversations with myself. And you've had those conversations with with yourself. And you're going, you know what, God? I I pray. I, I give some money. I I lead a connect group. I I volunteer in the children's area. I've I've invited my unchurched neighbors the last two years to Easter. I mean, you you go through that, right? It still doesn't seem quite like God is pulling through in the way that you think he should pull through. And the results are, is this real? Is he real? Am I doing something just crazy that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense? And we begin to struggle with those areas. I have a friend of mine um, from our church a couple months ago. Um, he called me up and he said, Preacher, I haven't prayed in two days and I'm not praying ever again. And I just started laughing at him. I said, okay. He said, you're laughing? You're the preacher. That's not funny. I said, well, I'm, I know you're going to pray again, but what's going on in your life? So he starts telling me what's, what's happening in his life. I, I remember several years ago, Um, a woman named Brooke and her husband Aaron were part of our church. And um, I didn't really know the couple that well, but uh, Brooke came and she said, "Um, I've had five miscarriages and I'm pregnant with number six. I I can't even imagine that. I can't imagine going through the roller coaster of five miscarriages. And she said, I'm pregnant again. And she said, "Uh, can we have some prayer and so, got my wife, Danita, and got another godly woman and wife and mom named Victoria, and another godly woman named Joanne. And so, Brooke came into my office, and they sat her in the chair, and I was in there. I was watching this man. This was cool. These three women went to war. They're quoting scripture, and they're praying over her, and they're laying hands on her. I was ready to rededicate my life after that prayer. I <laughs> mean, and I just—it was awesome. Then, then, then Brooke and Aaron moved away right after that, he flies helicopters. He flies Black Hawk helicopters for the military, and we kind of lost contact with them. And then, you know, five or six months later, I kind of it was off my radar. Five or six months later, they actually sent us a picture of the little boy. And I just want to show you this picture of, of this. And so that's the oldest little boy right there. And, and then they didn't have another miscarriage. They had the younger son right there. And, and they moved back to our church about four or five months ago. And so they're now here, part of our church. And I asked Brooke, I said, can, can I use your story? She said, yeah, but just don't put us on stage. I said, okay, I won't put you on stage. But can you imagine the doubts? Hey, we're, we're good people. We just want to be parents. We, we just want to have some kids. Can you imagine what went through their minds for in five miscarriages? I, I, I can't even imagine that. I got a really good friend of mine. He's He's been married for 26 years. He's in another state. And uh, his marriage is really in trouble. And he's just hanging on by a thread. And we call each other once a week. And I text him once or twice a week. And, man, he gets mad at me. He just gets mad at me. I send him scriptures. And I say, dude, don't shoot the messenger. I'm on your team, okay? I, I'm with you on this. But, but, but there's bitterness and there's anger. Just struggling. And, 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 and he's an elder of a church he's struggling. And like, where are you, God? How come you're not fixing my marriage? And we've all been through that. How come I got the health issue? How come I got the relationship issue? How come I got the business issue? How come I got the job issue? How come I didn't pass the test? How come I didn't make the grade? How come I didn't get on the team? We all go through that. We all do. Uh, Tim Bois from our church, one of our pastors, he asked some of our seniors, did you ever doubt you, you, you got through it, but, but did you ever have a period in your life where, where you doubted the goodness of God? Here, here's one 64-year-old lady, and she said, when my husband died very unexpectedly, my life was surrounded, my life surrounded around my husband. And she said, I was very angry with God. She underlines the word anger. I was very angry with God for taking the best thing out of my life. It was a totally life-changing event for me in every way, especially emotionally and financially. I was with my husband for 40 years. He was the love of my life. He was a godly man. Uh, another lady, um, uh, 86 years old, 86-year-old woman said, did you ever doubt God? And she said, well, as I look back, my idea of a difficult time changed every few years. Well, that was a good answer. She said, when I was in high school, I was selected to be on the cheerleading squad, but about six months into the season, season into the season, I had surgery for um, my appendix, and my cheerleading days were over. But she said, then um, I look back, and she said, then I lost my parents, and then she said, my husband. She said, I, I discovered what, what difficulty was when I lost my husband, and I, I buried her husband. He was a great guy. Another woman was 73 years old, and she said, my cancer was found five months after my fourth child was born. And I doubted that God would forgive me and let me live after all the sins I committed with my divorces, plural. And there were other things I'd done when I was single. I had a blood clot, put me in a coma. And she began to describe the other times in her life where she doubted whether or not God would actually provide and take care of her. An 84-year-old man, they have been married 61 years, he said... Uh, after a career of 30 years in sales and marketing in 12 different cities in the United States and raising three kids, my wife and I now face a major decision. My employer decided to implement a reduction in force. What does that mean? Uh-huh, you're done. Okay. He said, I had two choices, accept another relocation in a different city or accept an early retirement package. Uh, but he said, at age 59, um, my beautiful wife and mother of three was in the initial stages of completely losing her sight. And today, she walks around here with the cane. She, she's completely blind. And, and so it, it's not that you're not going to go through these difficulties. H- how do we get through these difficulties? What, what do you do? And I'm going to tell you what they did in just a minute. But I want you to see what Jesus did with his buddy John. This is impressive. This is amazing. When, when you see what how Jesus responded to John. So again, let's kind of recap the story Matthew tells us that John's in prison. John's hurting. He sends two disciples. Hey, we thought you were the one. Are you the one, or should we look for somebody else? And Jesus says, well, go back and tell John, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the deaf hear, blah, blah, blah. And so then then I want you to notice what Jesus does. Catch this. Jesus does not throw John under the bus. When his cousin, when his friend, when his colleague was hurting, Jesus doesn't throw him under the bus. Jesus comes around him. And I want you to see this. This is, this is impressive. So here's what happens in Matthew chapter 11, verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, they're going to go back and tell John, John's in prayer. they're going to go back and tell John, hey, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the deaf hear. Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. Now, I love this. So the crowd's going, oh, maybe John doesn't believe. Oh, maybe John doesn't have a lot of faith. Oh, and Jesus just steps right into the crowd. He's going to protect his friend. He's going to tell about how great his friend is. Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. He said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? In other words, you followed John into the wilderness, and you heard him preach and proclaim. He was a voice of one crying in the wilderness. What did you go out to see? A reed Swayed in the wind. I thought, what in the world does that mean? A reed swayed in the wind. It basically means like, like Did you think John was like a piece of straw? Did you think John was like such a weak man that now he's wishy washy? No, no, no. My, my my buddy's in prison. John's not a reed swayed in the wind. John's a strong man. Well, did you think he was a pretender? Look at the next section. What did you go out and see? A man dressed in fine clothes. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with dressing up, and we don't quite get this translation. But what he's saying is, people, some people were just pretenders. They were just incredibly poor, cr- incredibly corrupt, but they would just dress up like they were rich. And he said, no, 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 a man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. The pretenders are in the palaces. Here's what he says. Then what did you go out to see? When you went out in the wilderness and you listened to John, and John preached, he brought it, baby. He could bring it. When John was bringing it, what did you go out to see? Did you go out to see a prophet? You bet you did. You saw a prophet. Yes, I tell you, and even more than a prophet. Look at the next verse. And this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. And then he says this. Truly I tell you, among those born of women. He's telling the crowd this. He's telling the crowd because they're going, oh, John's kind of a wimp. John John's, maybe he's a pretender. Maybe, maybe his message wasn't real. Jesus, Jesus stands for his friend. I tell you, he's telling the crowd, I tell you, among those born of women, this is a statement. There's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's a statement. Of all the babies who've ever been born, J the B is the best. He's the man. He's the man. Jesus is is coming alongside of his friend. This is a great testimony. And then Jesus just makes a hard right just so nobody misses the value of eternity, so nobody misses the value of eternal life. He says, yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Wow. So much in this passage. I love how Jesus comes alongside of people. And so what do you do? What do you do, not with your doubts, but what do you do with the people's doubts around you? What do you do with your family's doubts? And what do you do with your friends' doubts? Because we're surrounded by people, whether it's a a young girl, woman who's been going through five miscarriages or whether it's a, a guy who says, I'm not praying anymore or, or whether it's a guy who calls me and says, dude, I don't know what to do with my marriage. I'm so mad. I'm so angry. Well, what do you do with those people? Because they're all around us. Well, Jesus doesn't throw them under the bus. Jesus doesn't say, oh, yeah, you're right. You dog, you should have more faith than this. You know, I mean, you're an elder of a church for crying out loud. You should be. I mean, Jesus wouldn't do that, would he? So what do we do? Well, all four of these seniors who wrote about their stories, whether it was cancer, whether it was anger, whether it was loss, all four of them have exactly the same testimonies. As I read through all four of their, how'd you get through it? How'd you deal with your doubts? They all four, they all four have exactly the same four pieces. And the first one is, is you lean into God. And that's what all four of them did. And we talk about that all the time. So I'm not going to spend any more time on that. We talk about that almost every Sunday, how you lean into God. Do You know how to lean into God. We talk about that all the time. But the second thing is, is these four people who had these tragedies. They leaned into people. And all four of their testimonies is exactly the same. It's God. It's church, it's family, and it's friend. They're all four the same. God, church, family, and friend. Say that with me. God, church, family, and friends. One more time. God, church, family, and friends. All four testimonies are exactly the same. Who are the people in your life that you can love? You're, You're in a position to love them like nobody else. I'm not saying they're doing right. I'm not saying everything's good. But who can you love who's around you? So the first one of these is, that's how you build your faith. And we talk about that all the time. You lean into God. God builds your faith. But you also lean into people. And the people around you, you help them. And so you reach out. You're like in their balcony. You're like a balcony person. They're they're in the basement. And you're reaching out and you're grabbing a hold of them. And you're just pulling them right up there. You're just pulling them up to help them into a system. I, I want to tell you a story about a lady that I've been trying to share my faith with for years, and I've gotten absolutely nowhere. Uh, she's probably, I think, 15 or 20 years older than I am, probably been retired for 10 or 12 years, medical doctor in her community. And, and, and I've, I've invited her to Christmas Eve like every year, I mean, Christmas Eve will come around, and I'll, I'll call her by her first name. I'll see her somewhere, and I'll say, hey, love for you to come to Christmas Eve. You'll love the music. And here's her response. Oh, honey, I don't do that. I don't do that spiritual, religious thing. You are all are good people, but honey, I, I don't do that. I don't. She calls me honey all the time. Honey, I, I, I just don't do that. And so I've gotten nowhere with this lady. I'm good at this. This is what I do. I've gotten, I've gotten nowhere with this woman. The door's not even cracked. So I keep inviting her every Christmas Eve. I keep talking to her and inviting her to come, you know. And so about six months ago, I saw her somewhere else, and she's all dressed up. And I again called her by name, and I said, Wow, you're, you're all dressed up. And I don't usually see her dressed up. And she said, yep, I'm getting ready to get on an airplane. am going to the airport. I've got a medical procedure that's going to take place in another state. I knew better than to ask her what it was. I just, I just said, okay. I said, um, I, I'm, I'm going to pray for you. That's all I said. I expected the, oh, honey, that's not me. Oh, honey. She didn't say anything. So about a month and a half go by, and I see her again out in the Palm Harbor um, community and I said, how did it go? And she said, well, I want you to know that I really appreciate you praying for me. She didn't tell me how it went. She just said, I really appreciate that. Thank you. And that was it. I mean, again, the doors slammed, you know, a big padlock on top of it. No spiritual discussion. So a couple of weeks ago, I'm riding my bike. And about three mornings a week, I ride my bike. Danita usually goes with me about two of those. But this morning, she was going to swim in our pool. So I'm riding my bike by myself. And I'm out there, and I'm getting it, you know, probably 13, 14 miles an hour, as best as I can. And she's also riding a bike. I see her in the community. She's riding a bike. And so I slow down. She's going four or five miles an hour. And I slow down. I come up beside her. And she said, um, I said, how you doing? She said, well, I've got to have another. And this time, it's, it's an extensive procedure. Again, I still don't know what it is, and I'm smart enough not to ask. Because she's liable to run over me on her bicycle or something. so... So I, and I said, she said this, she said this, she said, here's where the door cracked. She said, it's going to be on Thursday. This is Monday. She said, would you pray for me? I said, oh, I sure will. I sure will. And I said, you know, this road's pretty long right here that we're on. I said, can I pray for you right now? You just leave your eyes open. I'll leave my eyes open. We're both in tandem. And uh, I said, "We we we can pray with our eyes open if that's okay." She said, "Oh, she said, Oh honey, oh, honey, that'd be great.' Danita doesn't even call me honey. This woman's calling me honey. I I, I love this lady. It's, I'm her honey. You know, I'm on a bicycle." So I said, "I said, you know, Father God." I called her by name and I said, "She's scared. She's concerned. But you can help her. You can heal her. You can restore." Her. Help her trip, help her doctors, help all the people. And I got through with that prayer. I prayed in Jesus' name. I got through with that prayer. And I'm riding now beside her. And I look over to my left. And the tears are just coming off her chin. I I don't know that anybody has ever prayed for her out loud in her entire life. In her 75 years or whatever. I I don't think anyone has ever prayed for her out loud can you imagine what our families and our friends would be like our workplaces, our neighborhoods if we, just, we, just, we, just lean, we just lean into people just a little bit just like Jesus they will forever be changed they will forever ever be different and so I, I got two pieces of application one is people, people, people who are the people in your life? Who are the people in your family? Who are the people in your workforce? Who are the people in your neighborhood? Who are the people in your school? Who are the people around you that are doubting the goodness of God? And you've got enough faith for both of you. You've got enough faith to walk on water today. And secondly, don't miss what Jesus said. As great as John is compared to those people that have had the forgiveness of their sins and they're in the kingdom of heaven compared to those people who've confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior, compared to those people who've had the blood of Christ to cleanse them of all unrighteousness, they're they're, they're nothing. John's nothing compared to the greatness of the people in the kingdom of heaven. And so again, if you've never given your life to Jesus, today is your day to do that. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front I'm going to ask you to stand and you come down today for prayer. You come down today to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you come down today and and pray with a prayer partner over a friend or a family member who's struggling with their faith. Maybe today is the day that you're going to go to war over a family member or over a friend and pray for their faith. You are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. And today we worship you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.